welcome to the second edition of TV Cream's Christmas 2019 instalment of What We Just Watched. I'm Ian. I'm Graham. And I'm Chris. And in today's episode, I'm going to be showing my programme. Well... I was slightly misleading just then when I said I'm going to show you my programme. Okay. So I'm not actually going to show you one specific programme. Right. What we're going to watch is an extract from transmission on a Christmas day of yesteryear. I'm excited. Well, I'm intrigued. And it's actually not practical to make you guess what it is. I'm simply going to tell you then straight away that what we're going to see is 11 and a half minutes of BBC <laughs> One from Christmas Day 1993. Mm. Uh, we're going to join the channel at 5.53pm and I'm just going to let the clip run. Okay. Um, there's no point me asking you to guess or identify anything. What I'm going to do is I think just let's just watch the clip and okay. we can talk through exactly what we see in those 11 and a half minutes afterwards, OK? OK. So, OK. So now we're going to watch the, this extract and we'll join you again in a moment. Well, we've just watched 11 and a half minutes from Christmas Day 1993 of BBC One from approximately 5.53pm. First of all, Chris, Graham, tea time on Christmas Day. Now, it's probably... When spirits are a bit low, in a bit of a trough, do you think? I think, I think, well, I think energy's a bit low, isn't it? Kind of, you know, kind of you've, you've sat through the big film, you know, you've kind of, you're still kind of, you know, it's a few hours since you've had your Christmas dinner. Uh, energy's flagging. That's very true, Chris, because we begin this extract with the end of the afternoon film. Yeah. Which was... Back to the Future, part three. Now, I don't know whether either of you are particularly big fans of the Back to the Future franchise. Graham is shaking his head. Well, not mine. I, 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 you know, I'm a big fan of the original. Okay. I think, actually, I've only ever seen Back to the Future 3 once. <laughs> and it would have been on this transmission on Christmas Day 1993. And I've never seen it. Oh, well, in which case, I'll pick up from Chris because that's an ideal way into uh, what I was going to ask you both. Is that uh, would you have been conceivably watching... BBC One. I know the answer from you, Chris, is that you were watching BBC One at this point. I would have watched BBC One on Christmas Day 1993 pretty much all day. I think maybe we can discuss this a little bit later. I'm going to come on to about the, the opposition, show. but I would, yeah. I would, I definitely answer in the affirmative. BBC One all day. I mean, the default in our house, and I'm trying to think. Where I was, Christmas 1993, I'm not sure I was 20, and I don't know where I was, but the default would be BBC One. You have that on, yeah. and then you would make an active decision to switch yes. to another channel. Yeah. But if there's no reason to be on another channel, then it's BBC One. And it would probably, the telly, I don't think the telly would be off. I think it probably oh, would be absolutely. off. Absolutely, same, same here, same here. Why BBC One, then, as the default? I think, uh, and it comes across a little in some of the continuity bits, which actually feel a little bit smug and self-satisfied but it kind of owned Christmas doesn't it don't you think BBC One it's sort of like it is as Brucey says in that year's jingle be there it's the place to be plenty of fun we can generate so just be there why don't you make a date the family show where everyone plays the game 
will feast your eyes. And if I could just add to Graham's thoughts there, as Paul Daniel said in that particular jingle. The magic will take you beyond your wildest dreams. What can ITV do against that? And I suppose also there is the historic thing, isn't there, of ITV and the other channels opting out. BBC Two certainly opting out, isn't it? Well, uh, going we're, by yes, the fair we're they going had to come on, on to that in a minute. Superman 3, his greatest challenge. In this 11 and a half minutes, the very first thing uh, we see is a trailer for Superman 3. We're told that in this film, <laughs> Superman faces his greatest challenge. Do you think this is enough of a blockbuster, really, Graham? Well, his his uh, greatest challenge is the fact that Richard Pryor has been giving top billing in this film <laughs> instead of Christopher Reeve. It's it's certainly, I mean, this is the eggier end of the Superman franchise. An evil tycoon and a no-good scheming bum. Don't call me a bum. Create the ultimate machine. A fellow that can fool the computer can rule the world himself. And destroy Superman as we know him. But one thing that did strike me looking at the trail they put together, I love it when people in the continuity department have a bit of time on their hands because they've styled this up like a proper comic strip, haven't they? With kaboom and the sort of uh, graphics added to it. So this screening of Superman 3 is going out on the 26th of December, which, as we know it now, is Boxing Day. Back then, it was Christmas Sunday. Christmas Sunday, Because because Christmas Day was was on a Saturday. And I think think that's kind of a low-grade film for, for 1993 for Boxing Day after. Afternoon, do you think? But was at this point wasn't that still acceptable on Boxing Day? Didn't wasn't there? A, you're allowed to have I, that kind of a step I, down I, in the. I, I guess it just felt for something that you're promoting in this very kind of high profile key slot on Christmas Day. I just thought that's, that's, that that just feels a bit eggy. That feels but it's got Pamela Stevenson. Krypton Hammer, Krypton Hammer. I don't know what you call it, but there's this stuff that can like hurt Superman. And Robert Vaughn. No. No. Well, I'm, not saying, I have to say, I think it's the best of the of the uh, Superman. Do you? Why do you like it? Because it's because it's entertaining. It is funny. That's, it's that's funny, true, yeah. and there's a lot of slapstick in it. Yeah, which is what I want from those sort of superhero films. You I can't be doing with all this. Uh, the angst and, and the sort of the backstory about oh he's come from this origin so you want the sequence where uh, like in Superman he's grappling with his own demons Richard Pryor ends up kind of through down the yeah. roof, roof of a yes. building <laughs> with a makeshift cape on Truth, slapstick, I would have been overjoyed to see this trailer. I should say at this point that I've never seen Superman 3. Well, and actually, you interested and now? I really want to see it now. And there is an evil supercomputer in this as well, isn't there? Yes, well, it was alluded to in the trailer. Yeah. That's Superman's greatest challenge, a computer. Chris? I, I, I really, really want to see this film now. Next, we see another trailer. This one is for Only Fools and Horses. All this equipment here is manufactured by the one country that leads the world in alpine clothing, namely Fiji. Now, where are we in the trajectory of Only Fools and Horses, Graham? This is, I would say, so this is 93. This is the last sort of regular Christmas special before it then goes on a break and then returns in 96 with the trilogy. And I think that... um, it was definitely flagging at this point and going away was a very good thing for the show because then when it comes about, we'd sort of forgotten about how soggy it got towards the end. I mean, this is one of the ones... What was the uh, the name of this episode? The name of the episode was Fatal Extraction. And if I may, I'll just quote you from Radio Times. Yeah. John Sullivan uh, was interviewed and he said, I could happily write a new series right now, <laughs> but unfortunately, 
David Jason had just signed to do A Touch of Frost ah, okay. for ITV, okay. which put uh, a new series on hold. And I guess that new series never arrived, did it? Because the next we saw of the programme was that with with the three specials which are yes and they were absolutely superb but this is the point where the bbc are going on and on about how exciting only falls is the best value anywhere they say which i mean obviously is a play on um, what dell does for a living but it's a bit it's a little bit rich um and we had to look up the plot synopsis for this because uh, you, it, you couldn't remember no it. it's just such a damp thing uh, Dell and uh, Raquel split up for a bit and they get back yeah, together. together I have never never had a woman walk out on me like that miss you eh who all of them <laughs> it's 85 minutes long as well that's too long, isn't it? Yes, I think that was, and I think that's the point where John Sullivan is thinking that there are depths that he can mine in these characters when actually we don't really want any of that. This is one of those shows that's reached a point in its own sort of history where where it's being indulged, yeah. and John Sullivan's ambitions are being indulged. So, you know, we get a feature-length episode. We're kind of, as you say, Graham, we're kind of mining the kind of the emotional range of, of Dell and Rodney, and those depths are not necessarily there. One thing which always sticks in my mind about this kind of era of the Only Fool's Christmas special is that we have to have all the gang yeah. in the nag's head yeah. all, all you know kind of about eight or nine people all sitting around see I was just going to say something important to Dill and it's gone now <laughs> so how'd it turn out here Mike hey? <laughs> Coronation Street or East End <laughs> as long as we weren't El Dorado we can all sleep easy eh? <laughs> While Dell holds court with Denzel and Boise and Trigger, and you know when you see them now, they they do creak a bit, as opposed to those original half hours, which still have got loads of energy and loads of wit. And it made me think also of when they then brought the show back again in the uh, early noughties, you know, after the the trilogy in the nineties, and the second year that it was back, there was a documentary with John Sullivan. Yeah, a few uh, were critical of it, and and. Uh said bad things about it but I, I thought it a bit unfair since as we lost Buster Uncle Albert and then shortly before filming we lost Ken McDonald who was Mike at the next head so you know we had major problems there to, to overcome and I thought they might have let let us off on that one for good behaviour but they didn't maybe that was a reason not to bring it back in that case then do you think the voiceover that we hear is right to say Christmas Day is only fools and horses. I think there is a certain amount of there was expectation, wasn't there? Which is part of the reason why it has turned into this kind of showboat version of the show instead. That there was an expectation. Christmas isn't Christmas with, mm. without Devon Rodney. And it's always the way that every channel has always been looking for some kind of Morecambe and Wise successor. This Christmas isn't Christmas without this ingredient. And I think the BBC did have... Yeah, certainly there's no other show around the time that that could have rivaled it for that kind of mantle. One thing we should mention about that trailer for Only Fools and Horses is that it's actually promoting uh, a show that's on in 10 minutes. It, it's, it comes up on screen, <laughs> Only Fools and Horses, in 10 minutes. It's like, 10 minute warning everybody, go and get your mince pies, refill your glasses, Dell and Rodney are, are on the way. <laughs> it's so presumptuous, isn't it? The, the, this is yeah. the conversation this that's going on. This is what you've been waiting for. Mum, it's ten minutes now, Mum, you know, yeah. and uh, everyone's going to quickly oh, nip to the loo, this kind of stuff. <laughs> yes. uh, 
dad's getting into you know pouring a glass of something yeah. the chocolates are getting opened up now yeah. 10 minutes we've got 10 minutes now <laughs> so, so I, feel, I feel really festive now you've described it like that <laughs> well let me completely puncture that festivity by mentioning yes. what we hear next yeah. which is a brief mention of what's on BBC Two in five minutes yes it's a ballet over on BBC Two in five minutes the Northern Ballet perform a new production of Dickens classic A Christmas Carol well, it's Christmas Day, it's BBC Two, it's a ballet. This feels to me very much a sort of contractual thing. Oh, very well, you know, we must. Let's give BBC Two a plug. You know, here you go. If, if, if you don't want to watch Only Fools and Horses, <laughs> I can't think why well, you would not want to watch it. We've got these people prancing about <laughs> over here. I wonder what it was like to be kind of manning, for want of a better word, BBC Two on Christmas Day. Is it like running a kind of a municipal swimming bath on Christmas Day, <laughs> where you're not really expecting anyone to show up, but you've got to, you have to open up? Yeah, you have to open up and you know pull the cover off the swimming pool and you know make sure I, it's chlorinated. I've, I've, I've got an image of a solitary BBC mince pie on a, on a paper plate and a continuity announcer pulling a cracker on their own. Oh. Next up, we see a brief glimpse of the BBC One Christmas branding for 1993, yeah. which is a giant one uh, looking to me rather lonely all by itself in a Christmas scene uh, with a tiny polar bear looking at it. Well, I think the polar bears were the, were the festive motif of BBC One's okay. Christmas branding in 1993. And, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think there were other versions of that item in which, right. the, in which, in which the polar bears were more prominent. Uh, one thing... <laughs> That's one, good. I'm very reassured that the, the bears were more prominent in other versions. Well, one of, one, of, one of the things I pointed out while we were watching this clip is that we got the nighttime version. Uh, the, the one was kind of sitting there in, in, in the darkness, wasn't it? I think there was also a daytime version. This seemed to be a recurring theme with the BBC one Christmas idents around this time in that they would they would go to town and you'd have a daytime version a nighttime version maybe a kind of more reflective version before the news and this is the uh, the Lambinern one which is when they it brought is. Martin Lambinern in to kind of restyle things and BBC Two was looking brilliant at this point and as Martin Lambinern even he himself admits that one it's nothing or other is it it's it's he had to come up with some kind of branding that would sit with Only Fools and Horses or with documentary. It doesn't tell you anything about the channel. It's a bit flat. I quite like that one. You like the one? Well, I like that kind of the little, the, little, the little, bit, the, the little bit chiselled out. It's, I think that's quite classic. I think though. it's a bit grandfather clock. Here on BBC One now, the news with John Humphreys. And then it's time for the news. Of all the people you want to see facing you from out of the television screen on Christmas Day tea time reading the news, do you think John Humphreys fits that bill? I think John Humphreys was probably happily putting himself on the rotor for Christmas because he doesn't want to see his family, he doesn't want to get involved in any of that kind of <laughs> That's piffle. very cruel, <laughs> He's not a Christmas face, is he? He's not, Absolutely not. He's not. But then is there some acknowledgement that... This is this is just in the ten minutes to only fools and horses kind of hiatus, isn't it? Where no one's really going to be watching, and you know John can do his thing, and the rest of the country are. Do you think there's, there's a there's themselves? That he is like a placeholder 
in in the schedule. Well, I think even the lineup of news is is placeholdery kind of news. It's very generic Christmas Day news. Is is John Humphrey someone you think is is appropriate for Christmas Day? Uh, I would agree with Graham. I think I I, I think he's inappropriate for Christmas Day. But I think there's been a deliberate decision on his part to be there. I would also add at this point about the running order of that news bulletin in that it was probably uh, drawn up about 24 hours earlier. <laughs> I was I was thinking it's probably the same as last year's. <laughs> pretty they, much they, beat they, for beat. Well, they, they probably were just kind of... They probably just what did we do through, last time? Yeah, it's probably kind of opened up a filing cabinet, yeah. plucked out the script for last year's Christmas yeah. Day news and then just kind of blown the dust off and and updated any names and um, um, jobs are good. And. I think there was a there was a, a profound issue for BBC News once the troubles were over. They suddenly had to do an overall updating of their Christmas news broadcast, didn't they? That was quite bothersome. Well, let's go through this ten minute news bulletin. We begin with uh, completely unsurprisingly the Queen's Christmas message. Northern Ireland, especially these last years, fear has made the streets dark indeed. Now we have seen that the light of hope can brighten them. May 1994 bring to those brave people who live there and go about their lawful lives undaunted the reward they deserve, peace. Which apparently is all about, quote, solving some of the world's most difficult problems. Phew! (laughs) But the first footage we see is not of the message, but is instead... The royals arriving at church. Now, I think this is a, just an excuse to get a bit of footage of uh, Lady Di. Back at Sandringham, just for 24 hours, the Princess of Wales joined the family group attending church. Well, if we're going to have to see the news on Christmas Day, then that's what the audience would have wanted. What's Princess Diana wearing? That's, that's the big question. Not only do we see what she's wearing, but we're also told by Jenny Bond herself, <laughs> as if she knows the mind of the royals. <laughs> She does, Ian. She does. That uh, Diana, having retreated from public life last year... Her priority now is to be with her sons as much as possible. Last year, with her separation from Prince Charles so recent, she spent Christmas away from them and the rest of the royal family. This year, she was determined that it should be different. Looking back from, from today, it seems incredibly trivial, but also prurient to be spending several minutes itemising each member of the royal family and what they're going to be doing and the fact that we... Who is it? Who, who do we see our first glimpse of? Viscountess Lindley. And so the Queen found that she had almost all her family around her, including this year's newcomer, Viscountess Lindley. Yeah, I know you were particularly interested, Chris. <laughs> but but in, in response to this, isn't this how we sort of treat the royals in that they are basically a soap opera? Yeah. So what you're actually talking about is storylines within that soap opera. The, the storyline of Princess Diana retreating from public life and or the storyline of, of this new character. We've got Viscountess Lindley and you know, when are we going to see her? Um, we've got the first glimpse of Prince Edward's new girlfriend. Yes. So, so it's, Ian, in terms well, of the royal soap opera, you know, there's, there's lots going on. And Diana is back, isn't she? She, you know, the, she the bitch is back. Yeah. She's back exactly. wearing yeah. red and a big yeah. black It's like hat. It's like Angie sort of kind of opening up the doors of yeah. the Vic and like, I'm back, everyone. Or Julie Goodyear returning to Coronation Street. Give that girl a coconut. 
<laughs> do you imagine then people watching the news and saying, oh, I look who's back? Yes. That is entirely what the audience have, would have been doing. It'd be kind of like, hey, look, Grand yeah. you know, dies, look, back. Di- dies back. And I, I, I must mention also that uh, on the subject of Sophie Rhys-Jones... Who had thought she may be invited to stay over the new year? Aye, aye. Uh, what's going on there? <laughs> oh, I love Separate the bedrooms, Complete tittle-tattle, isn't <laughs> it? Is. It's... Uh, it's exactly that. Tittle-tattle is the phrase. And then, Chris, you pointed out uh, uh, Princess Margaret there. Res- <laughs> fur coat, massive fur coat, massive fur hat. So, she, so, so again, kind of, again, she's the kind of... Uh, she's what? a Noel Gordon. Oh. <laughs> 100%. This incarnation of the royal family has disappeared now, hasn't it? We don't have... I miss it. Are really your favourites? Is it your well, favourite line well, we don't have characters like Margaret... Queen Mother, yeah. Diana, they've, they're all now... Dead. Of, they're either, well, yes, in the current incarnation, they're either old sort of institutions or the, or the do-gooders, the current sort of yes. young generation. You want some black do-gooders. sheets, is that what you, yeah. you need? Yeah, there's not enough Hollyoaks in the royal family at the moment, is there? <laughs> Only when the tittle-tattle is out of the way do we actually get to the Christmas message itself? Though Jenny Bond blathers over most of it, um, we do, however, see a clip of the Queen standing next to a very old-looking television it's set. It's a Ferguson, I think. Yeah, we were trying to date. We spent, spent quite a lot of that sequence trying to date that TV set. I think it's the kind of thing that would normally have moved up to kids' bedroom by yeah, now. Do you, th- do you think that set even had a remote control? Another case of a child being left at home on his own has come to light. It happened in Brighton on Thursday. Story number two in the bulletin is another Home Alone case. I love this, because that was clearly a hot-button phrase. Well, I I was trying to remember. I don't recall Home Alone cases being a big thing. But it's another one as well. It's It's the second one in the last week. And it strikes me that it's typical. I mean, the Home Alone film was a few years old by this point, and yet the, the phrase is still knocking around. That, that really never stops the kind of uh, TV news journalists <laughs> no. kind of being being a couple of years out of date. That that's not that's not an issue for them. Chris, you used a phrase uh, to describe what most of this report consisted of. It consisted of guilty buildings. I think that's a kind of bit of a catchphrase within kind of sort of TV news journalism. If you don't have any relevant footage, you can just show footage of the exterior of buildings and, and that will do as, as literally a placeholder while you sort of uh, deliver your introductory commentary. The Archbishop of Canterbury, Dr George Carey, has accused some parents of failing to teach their children spiritual values. Story number three is the Archbishop of Canterbury's Christmas Day sermon. Oh, there it is, oh. yeah. Which has to be, so it's like a box ticking exercise, doesn't it? We oh. have, we've got the Queen done, yeah. now it's the Archbishop, and yeah. then it's the Pope. Yeah, I'll come back Princess Margaret. But then isn't it this also, it's a useful thing because people who are getting their tea things together for only fools and horses oh. go, oh, they're on the Pope story now. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, yes. we've, we've got four minutes. Well, then we move on to a bit of uh, war because story number four is the Balkans conflict. Yeah. No Christmas in Krishanchevo. The village was Croat. Now they're defending it house by house. And we have um, Humphrey Hawksley out in the field reporting from the battlefront and we see stark footage of troops running about. And this is, this is the sort of the grit in the bulletin. Oh, and a war at Christmas, that's a perennial, yes, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. We go to a war zone. Yeah, and we even get kind of footage of villagers singing Silent Night. Croats worshipped in a nearby church 
which the war has turned into a hospital. That really um, takes the boxes. In of, front of the wounded. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's extraordinary. But thankfully, next we move back onto festive fair. Yes. It's the weather and it's been snowing. There's been snow in many parts of Britain, which has delighted some people, but not the bookmakers. Well, the key thing here is that the bookies are out of pocket yes. to, the, to the tune <laughs> of, of £80,000. And one of them pops up for all of 10 seconds. Well, by dint of the fact that most of the country has enjoyed a white Christmas, the bookmakers have been suffering a black Christmas. That's such a conspired one line, isn't it? I mean, do you think he recorded two versions? <laughs> Probably on the Thursday. And they, had, they had them banked ready yes. for one. And another that. one equally kind of pithy. Yes, almost certainly. Juliet Bremner is the reporter and she narrates lots of snowy scenes. She does that thing of finding finding a rather convoluted way of describing something that's very simple because we see children making some snowmen, but she says... And further south in Sheffield, there was enough for children to perfect their traditional winter skills. Why does she not just say that they were making snowmen? And then the final story, story six... Oh, now you can imagine the cries of joy when this dropped into the newsroom and came in on the wires because somebody called Alistair Christmas. His wife has given birth to a boy on Christmas Day itself. He really did become a father Christmas. Do you think that maybe for the last kind of three months there has been so much attention? There's been... There's been a lot of research all up and down the country. He's oh. got a Yuletardy name who might be the, kind of the up, word up went the duff. Out. Yeah, the word went up. And then this Christmas, there's they've, a family here called Christmas. They've deployed people all over the country yes. in hospitals. Yes. And there's things like maybe they, they, they've seen him, he, he's been taking his wife for a curry, and they think that might induce <laughs> labour. So someone swiftly removed the curry and just put some chicken and chips in front of him and said, because, no, hold on, we, we, need to, we need you to hold back until Christmas Day for this, please. Well, it's the perfect uh, mixture sort of, sort of sentimentality and a sort of a, a, a funny yes. and then finally story, isn't it? Because the baby has been named Stephen Christmas. Stephen. Well, it's a shame they didn't go for what? some kind of pun Christmas name, but I, it's hard to think of a one, isn't there? Well, it's Arthur Christmas. Arthur Christmas. And that's the BBC News for now. We'll be back at nine. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of the Christmas. Um, and that's it from the news. And only at the very end of the bulletin does John Humphreys bother to crack a smile at us. Well, of course, he does this just before pulling off his signature move, which is uh, putting his pen inside his jacket top pocket, which is very much the forte of a Humphreys bulletin. Well, thankfully, we next get something far more seasonal. It's the weather with Penny Tranter. Good evening. I hope you've had a lovely Christmas day. And as we've already seen, some places have had a white Christmas. And um, Chris, do you describe what we see when the weather appears? We see, we see an, a wintry scene, uh, as you might expect from the from the opening uh, graphic on the weather. But not just, a, but, it's, but it's not a still scene, is it? We've got we've got animated snow. It's lovely, and there are sleigh bells playing in the background as well. That is what you want from the weather on Christmas Day. You want you want to see the the meteorologists going going the extra mile and and just sort of decorating the weather. Um, she even says, and this is uh, another, again a marked contrast from John Humphreys. She wishes us all, I hope you've had a lovely Christmas day. That's nice, isn't it? It is, isn't it? And when we're watching, I think Chris made the very good point. That's the best iteration of the weather map, isn't it? Oh, Just generally. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're clear. Um, they're easy to read. Um, there's, there, there's no uh, unnecessary uh, animation on the map. They're not show-offy, are they? No, like the no. New ones are. That is the gold standard of, of a weather map. We just want things that are ersatz stickers. We don't want moving vortices. <laughs> you put it so much better than I could. 
We're almost at the end of our 11 and a half minutes, but there's still time for a trailer for another of the BBC treats Ooh. for this Christmas. Christmas in the Algarve, being shadowed by a furtive Peter Cook and relaxing in luxury accommodation. What more could Victor ask for? And again, it's on um, Christmas Sunday, like Superman 3. It's a trailer for One Foot in the Algarve. And we were chuckling, weren't we? Oh, we were you were laughing when this trailer was playing. Chuckling from start to finish. Which I was surprised by, because I recall that this didn't get a very good reception at the time or maybe that's me misremembering it I think this was did it go down it, well if I re- well if I remember correctly this was the most watched show over the entire Christmas period on British TV at Christmas 1993 I think you're right there yeah it's interesting that One Foot in the Grave was kind of the the, the, the number one comedy show uh, on BBC at this point but the return of Only Fools and Horses kind mm. of shunts it to Boxing Day. I think all subsequent Christmas editions of One Foot in the Grave were on Christmas Day. It's almost like kind of Dal and Rodney, they're like the, they're like the Queen's speech of, of the sitcom world. They have to be on Christmas Day. Nothing shall usurp their time slot. Yeah, there's not a lot of in-house love for um, One Foot at this point, is there, from the BBC? It's not giving it, it's not gilding it in the same way it is with... Only fools. Well, they've indulged it to the extent that they've uh, stumped up the cash to send it out on location for a feature-length episode, um, which I think I was put off at the time by the fact that it smacks a bit of a spin-off kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, are you being served? We'll take them out yeah. of their... I-, I wanted. I would like to see Victor and, and co. in their normal settings, so it's like, not transplanted to to wherever it well, the Algarve. Well, yeah, maybe that's why I liked it, because I like the Are You Being Served film where they all go off to the... Costa, Costa Plonka? Costa Plonka. <laughs> I, I, I quite enjoy that kind of thing. It's a bumper sale of jolly entertainment where anything goes. I see you, fellas. We're British! And everything grows bigger on the big screen. Are you being served? I have to agree with Chris. Um, I like those things as well, like Minder on the Orient Express. I don't know what sort of train you call this, but I strongly object to being ejaculated while it's in motion. It's like Hammer have bought the rights. Yeah. And they're they're kind of repackaging it, so it all turns into a nice kind of caper. I really want to spend Christmas with you. Happy Christmas. EastEnders, tonight at 7.30 on BBC One. Then there's time just for a very brief trailer for EastEnders, which is coming up at 7.30. Doesn't really tell us very much, but we do hear playing in the background. Ding, dang, ding, dong, shing-a-ling-a-ding, dong, ding, dang, ding, dong, ring-a-ling-a-ding, dong. Well, we hear a kind of reprise of the BBC One's Got a Lot of Things on uh, trail, which, I mean, it's such a wonderful, epic production. We could do a whole episode about it, but I was thrilled to see a couple of Christmases ago that uh, BBC Radio Norfolk actually revised it and brought it back for their own purposes. And then finally we get to Only Fools and Horses and then there's another rather shameless attempt to um, play up its uh, festive credentials. As much a part of Christmas as the turkey and the tinsel now on BBC One. They should just let us watch the show and not tell us what we're, how we're going to respond to it. It annoys me. I'll end by just running through the, the full lineup for BBC One on this particular Christmas day. Um, we've already talked about uh, the news and it was only Fools and Horses EastEnders at 7.30 8pm do either of you remember or would like to make a guess at what comes next is this Birds of a Feather? it's Birds of a Feather go to Hollywood wow thanks for the tea Mr Hamilton 
please call me George. Cheers, George. Then it's the news at 9pm, and then after the news, it's the big blockbuster film for the evening. Another premiere. Again, any guesses or... You're better at this than uh, Chris? Oh, no, I don't know. What was the big film for Christmas night? It's something like... It's not Working Girl. It's something like of that genre. That yeah, it's 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 from the American romantic comedy stable. Yeah, but with a twist. It's Ghost, and then um, we round off the evening with a repeat of some classic Christmas comedy, which is Morecambe and Wise. Yes. What's his name? Elephant John. <laughs> No, you mean Elton John? Him. It was on the last Christmas show. Oh, we know. We know. Sang the musical song all sentimental and got laughs. No. <laughs> From 1977. Yes. Yeah. And just just to be complete, after after um, the Morecambe and Wise, we have a brief meditation on um, while shepherds watch their flocks by night, <laughs> and then the whole. If you're still up at 12:25 uh, a.m., you can watch Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee in the Hand of the Baskervilles. <laughs> so, was this a good Christmas? Do you think? I think so. Yeah. That is a hit lineup from from start to finish, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You've got all the BBC's biggest shows on Christmas Day. And you've got some big films in there, you've got some blockbusters in there. Uh this was the year infamously where ITV just waved the white flag on Christmas Day and they just showed back-to-back films uh, which were slightly older vintage than, than, than the blockbusters on BBC One. And I think from memory that this was the year that BBC One absolutely thrashed ITV in the Christmas Day ratings. He really did have a lot of things on. You've been listening to What We Just Watched for Christmas in which we watched an extract of BBC One from Christmas Day in 1993. We'll be back tomorrow with my choice of show. So until then, it's goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye. Here on BBC One.